Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another glorious episode of Sass and Nosh with yours truly, Alex and Kim. I'm Kim. And I am Alex. And that's Alex. And thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to talk about uh, minorities crapping on other minorities. I think that's what lateral oppression, microaggression. <laughs> oh, she's getting fancy. Okay. No, it's not even micro anymore. It's just, it's just shitting on other shitters. Okay. All right. Well, you know, let's let's talk about that. All right. What's on your mind, Alex? Hey. Um, you know what is on my mind, and it's 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 something that's been getting to me for quite a while, and I, I generally don't say anything about it until it gets to a crescendo. And that thing is lately, I have noticed that, and I use in air quotes minorities shitting on other minorities. I use air quotes because minorities really are we still playing that game? But um, so specifically, I had two incidences just just this week. Um, so I am, I hold a lot of privilege in that I belong to quite a few very different communities. I, in some ways I am white passing. In some ways I'm also Greek passing because I was born in Greece. I am also um, what they call uh, Hispanic. Sometimes people refer to me as Hispanic or Latino. Um, Anyway, I belong to a quite a list of subsets of all, lots of intersections, let's just put it that way. And so recently I was talking to a, a friend of mine who has difficulty um, with calling out her, her relatives on, so in the Greek community, in this, in this respect, I'm speaking about the Greek community. In the Greek community, there's certain words you use for certain people and they're generally seen as descriptors like if I say a black American it's a descriptor it, it doesn't say anything about origin or anything else in Greek it's called mavro uh, meaning uh, black dark mm -hmm. but there is a way you can say it that it's kind of like oh you know those people so she called out a brother of hers for using this term because you know their, their, their neighborhood that they're in is a majority uh, a black community. And he just, you know, started wa wanting to talk shit about it. And she, she knew there was something wrong and she felt it wrong and she it just rubbed her the wrong way. But for the first time, you know, she's from a Greek family, a large Greek family. For the first time, she had the courage to say, you know what, please don't use that term around me because I know how you use it and I don't appreciate it and I don't want to hear about it. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's really a strong thing from a daughter to say back to her old country uh, cousins and stuff. And I was like, wow, wow. I'm, really, I'm really proud of you. Congratulations. And I remember feeling those feelings of when you're a kid and somebody's talking about other group of people that is just you know in your heart of heart it's they're saying when they say black or when they say foreigner they're meaning it, it in a mean-spirited way mm -hmm. and so 
it took me a few minutes to process that. And I was like, wait a minute, do you realize that this is the same thing people have done to us? And that there's a very, very, very thin line amongst all of us oppressed groups. I mean, it, when I first arrived in the States, I remember hearing people say, oh, she's a greasy Greek. And I was just thinking to myself, what? I just came from Greece and you're calling me a greasy Greek and do my, do my parents own a, uh, what do they call it? A, a restaurant and, you know, they just, they started bringing in all these, all these ideas of what they think of Greek people. I remember thinking, well, I'm not really Greek. I mean, I moved here. I was born there. Mm. But then I was like, wait a minute. But if I am, so what? What's mm -hmm. wrong with me? What's, what's wrong with me eating garlic all the time? What's wrong with, and then they're like, and then they saw my mom and they're like, oh, you're Mexican. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? They're like, oh, you know, wet back. She doesn't have papers. Da, 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 da. I'm like, holy moly. Do you people really have the time to sit here and really dole out what's wrong with every kind of group of people? Because the way I look at it, we're all suffering from a whole lot of fucking ignorance. You know, I'm sitting here, I because I'm so I'm listening to you, and there's there's two things that that I'm present to. One is is you're talking about that single story perspective of another person. So, so, so I might, so if I'm somebody and I, you know, I have a single story about who Greek people are. Oh, all of you have these amazing restaurants and you sell falafel or whatever, or grape Falafels are Greek, by the way. Um, or uh, what are the grape leaves? The dolmas? dolmas. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's like a single story. It's, it's, it's singular in dimension. There is no dimension to that at all. Um, it, what you were saying about, you know, being Hispanic or being Mexican, it's like what, what you described people saying is like, this is the singular story I have about them. And, and most of the time it, well, I shouldn't say most of the time. I know in my experience, oftentimes those singular stories are racist or this or sexist or, you know, ableist or whatever. Um, that's one thing, but the other thing I was that that came up is I was um, I'm following a discussion on one of my so, with one of my social media um, connections, and this came up. This woman from I don't know Greece or Italy or someplace was like, I don't understand America and your racism. I mean, a person is just black. They're not, you know, it's like there's nothing attached to that. Where I live, there isn't racism. And I was like, first of all, I'm just like, okay, first of all, where exactly do you live? But she went on to describe exactly what you're talking about, where it's like the local naturalized citizens or, or born, whatever you call them, the citizens of this particular place, wherever it was she lived, shitting all over immigrants. And it wasn't, and I think and kind of my takeaway from her was it wasn't necessarily a race-based discrimination. It was uh, an, uh, a status, an immigrant status. But she was talking about, you know, I mean, these are folks coming from um, Africa. I mean, they're, they're like African immigrants, right? So I'm sitting here and I'm just like, 
I, I, first of all, I don't buy that there is a place in the planet where racism does not exist. I, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, Can you say that again? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually willing to, to like, I will fight somebody for that. I don't think there's any place where racism doesn't exist. And secondly, I do think it's really interesting to have this conversation about different types of discrimination and oppression and, and how it shows up. Um, I, 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 you know, again, this was something recent in one of my social media feeds. It's something that a conversation that came up um, on my jobby job, which was, at, you know, what does anti-blackness look like? And the conversation among us native folks is, is like, there's a huge anti-black problem in our communities. And it's weird. It's it's legit weird when I hear native people like spewing that kind of shit on other native people or other groups of people. Specifically with to anti-blackness in the native community. I mean, hi, history, hello. There are black natives everywhere. And there's a specific history to that black natives. And, and I don't understand it. Well, I, I do understand. It's the colonial capitalist fuckery is what happens. Bingo. Right? And this is one thing that's kind of been difficult too with, right? We have the first Native American and Native American woman who is has been nominated as the Secretary of the Interior under Jojo Bean's administration. Yeah, I did call our new president, Jojo Beans. I've not heard that. And by the way, Jojo Beans, if you're listening to this, there's a lot of people waiting on our stimmy, if you know what I'm saying. But I digress. So, so while there's this huge celebration going on that um, Congresswoman Holland has been nominated for this, there's a lot of conversation that people aren't paying attention to, which is she took the side of um in the fight that's been years long to protect the status of Freeman Cherokee and basically the position she took was 100% anti-black she came down on the side of I mean we could argue it was it was the tribal sovereignty side but the impact of it was to be anti-black and and for that reason uh, you know there are a lot of natives that are like oh cool 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 but did you hear, let me tell you a story, right? Um, and, and that's kind of what I'm hearing, what you're talking about is it's like, we can look through the, race, the lens of race only, but there's also other kinds of discrimination that we do to each other all the time. And it's not, it's not right. It's not right. And I would say, so what, what is our responsibility to our relatives when we see that? Our responsibility, just like my friend was, to say something about it and start the conversation of, hey, that's not cool. I, you, your experience might back your opinion, but it's still not cool to, to label an entire group. Because the thing is, the kicker here is how, how this racism and oppression is insidious in that it allows so many of us to dehumanize the other. Mm -hmm. And I think taking away other people's humanity is the most dangerous thing we, we can do. A hundred percent. 
because you know how we treat the least of us is how how we will be judged in the future because we're i mean hopefully there is a future but the way we're going this is not good shit man we've got to cut 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 this crap out of of colorism especially i mean jesus this is ridiculous so so i hear what you're saying about that that it's like we 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 are not in a position if we are to save ourselves as humans if we are to save ourselves as humanity um we need to we need to make some different choices about how we relate to each other but to say i mean to say to say we got to do away with colorism what i'm hearing is like the racism, the oppressive side of that. Because to me, the other side of colorism is it's like, we are multicultural. We are multiracial. We are a global community here. And I think I'm all for ending racism. I'm all for ending discrimination. And I'm all for protecting the rich diversity of culture that comes from our color. And our, our various ethnic backgrounds. And so I hear this a lot sometimes, sometimes among our dearest allies. Well, I don't see color. Mm. Really? Denying my experience is what you see. Well, yeah, and I guess and I guess <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. Thank you for articulating that better. Is I think I think, yes, there's one side of the coin which is about oppression, it's about dehumanizing, it's about denying. And there's the flip side of that, which is we, all of our relatives. I mean, it's a whole human experience. And except for maybe our pale friends, our pale <laughs> relatives, <laughs> I'm not sure what white culture is. I mean, if we, that's maybe a whole episode. Um, but, but it's like, you know, I think about, I think about all of the different cultures that I'm intersected with and that. I touch in my life. And it's like, I don't, I never want to be blind to that. I want to see, I want to see the colors of my other relatives. Does that make sense? I think it does. It's, it's allowing yourself the beauty of seeing of what is, but based on what is, it's not about oppressing or diminishing people's opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the kicker is in, in the current system, in the current, you know, mm, let's be productive system. Everybody's commoditized. Everything is commoditized. And I think we really, really need to come back to a more basic community oriented model of a marketplace where there is room for a lot more, which currently there isn't room for a lot more it, kind of like the the idea of when people are at a party and they ask you what you do it's like mm -hmm. so that they can you know rank you in rank you in their little order of oh i need to network with you <laughs> rather than of right wow, in this in this community look at the diversity of people and story and adventure and Look at the diversity that they 
they bring into and enrich our lives as a community. Wouldn't that be freeing? It's almost, yeah, like what you're saying is it starts out as curiosity, but it ends up being an evaluation. Like, how are you useful to me? Boom. And that, that is the crux of what I see when people are like, you know, mm, well, you know, they're, they're so-and-so. So, oh, like, you know, I'm Jewish. Oh, therefore I have laser beams out in the sky that start fires. <laughs> why thank you thank you very much oh i you know what i must not be jewish enough because i don't have a laser i'll lend you some of my laser thank you <laughs> thank you very much along with my control along with my total control of all media and banking systems you know what i'm jewish by heritage but like like, cause I grew up Christian. So at least one rabbi says, well, you have to de-Christianize and re-Jewify. And I feel like I really need to do that because I didn't realize I had access to so many See, things. I'm telling you, you got to read these, um, these KKK blogs and all these other, because damn, Jews have a lot of power. I had no idea. Well, shit, next time it's going to be, it's not going to be indigenous Sashinash, it's going to be Jewish Sashinash. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's crazy. It's just freaking crazy. Well, so, so, so I'm thinking about like all the different ways this crapping all over other people and, and, and what, because because okay so let's let's talk about just like racism for a minute right mm -hmm. racism is that institutional position of power that is used to distinguish and treat certain groups a certain way right the, mm -hmm. the key to the the thing that distinguishes racism from prejudice or bias is the power component there is no such thing as racism against white people. And I'm going to have to say that again, if you don't mind. There is no such thing as racism against white people. You may think that there's a thing called reverse racism, which is that assertion that there's racism against white people, but that doesn't exist. It's literally not a thing. And do you know why? I'll tell you why. It's because the power dynamic is missing. White people have the power, not the other people. So I may discriminate or have bias against white people, but I, that's not the same thing as racism. And I wow. totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> so would, would it be fair to classify when a white person calls reverse racism? Would it be fair to classify that as, let's say, whining? I was going to say bullshit, but you know, bullshit, whining. I mean, you whining. know, yeah, we could, we could call it whatever we wanted to. We're sass and notch. <laughs> so tell me why it would be whining or bullshit. Because it's literally not a thing. And, and it's like, you can jump up and down and be mad about it and say, uh, you hurt my feelings when you called me like a white asshole because I like, you know, treated you some way. It's, and that's like, okay, well, hurt feelings isn't the same thing because hurt feelings isn't going to get you fucking shot by the police because they think you, you're doing something wrong when you're literally standing in your own front yard. 
Okay, that doesn't happen to you. You know, it's, it's like, it's like my being, my feeling some way about you because you're, you're white. It's not going to keep you from getting a job. It's not going to keep you from, it's not going to all of a sudden make you disproportionately represented in the, in the justice systems or child welfare system. It's not going to cause you to suddenly be disproportionately denied access to health care. And therefore oh, yes. have higher mortality rates than anybody else. Get out of here with that bullshit. I'm going to tell you to turn around and go back to your blue-eyed fucking swimming pool community because there isn't room for you here. Sorry. Go away. No. I'm drinking my spicy tea today. Oh my, yes you are. But I think this is exactly what was going on with the, the siege on the Capitol. There were a whole, whole lot of white people ready to take arms and to get violent and all of the above because they have a perce perception that what is rightfully theirs is being taken away mm -hmm. because they're being called to share. Mm -hmm. But the irony is I don't think they need to be storming the Capitol. I think they're looking at, I don't know, hedge funds. That was glorious. That was glorious. So, so let's, let's just say, so I'm still kind of trying to understand like all of the stuff behind it, but what I'm understanding in the nutshell is here's what happened. Okay. So GameStop, all the nerds know GameStop. GameStop, I guess was was designated as like a candidate for bankruptcy. So all these hedge funds borrowed stocks from Game GameStop and sold them. They short sold them basically. And so it was like they borrowed them, they sold them, they got a pot of money. And then when they had to sell them back to GameStop, it was going to be at a much lower price. So the hedge funds were going to make a shit ton of money on this. But what happened is some nerds sitting around behind a computer figured out what was going on. And so they started buying all the stock, which shot the stock price up. And by the way, I checked Robinhood the other day and one share of fucking GameStop was $412. So what happened, so, so what this, this did was all these hedge fund people went tatas up. They like, yep. they lost shit tons of money and billions. It was billions and it was so painful for them there was even a rich white guy on fox news that literally was crying i couldn't get my coffee mug under his tears to capture them to refuel <laughs> myself i couldn't do it but it was satisfying nonetheless to see that right so i i think it's extraordinary that you know they're going over low-level politicians when we got that going on. Mm -hmm. And well, what's funny is to see Robin Hood shut it all down. I'm like, oh, sorry, your name is Robin who? Exactly. Well, and that's, that's kind of the whole thing. It's like white supremacy and capitalism are intertwined. Our bedfellows. There's like, yeah, it's like white supremacy, like, like capitalism is the tool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a like, vehicle. It, it's a vehicle because you and and it and it's it is designed to support white supremacy. It requires 
poor oppressed people in order to function. And things aren't so great right now because poor oppressed people are like, you know what? Not today. Uh-uh. This is what's going to happen. Well, I find it deeply disturbing to me that these these politicians who are really actually behind a lot of money, so they're not their day job of Congress or whatever is not really their day job. It's their side mm-hmm. hustle. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they think, you know, what a thousand is going to last you nine months or something crazy. It's, I mean, that's yeah, a hundred percent. It's like, I mean, I got $1,200 because of my husband and I, but my two kids, no, I didn't get shit for them. And I'm like, really? What's this supposed to do? You're, I, I mean, for the whole, for the whole time we've been in lockdown and that's the whole thing is it's like, well, mm-hmm. I, I mean, from, from what they approved in this, in the first stimulus, they're still arguing about the second one. Right. And it's like, you know, there's, there's like, oh, we're going to get two grand. And then it's like, well, actually, no, it's only going to be 1600 and it's and whatever. It's like, Jojo, I need my cash, but I digress. Um, but, but, but it's chump um, change. It, it doesn't even cover chump change. It, it is the equivalent. If I went down to the Toyota Camry right now and I took a flashlight and I looked under the seats and I scraped together the pennies that are underneath there, like in the scheme of what it has cost an individual to live through the last year yes. of this pandemic. And, and I, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm lucky because I've been working. I'm not going to say that I haven't been impacted and I haven't also experienced some financial impact, but I've been working. Now, I got plenty of folks that I know in my life that haven't been working or they get working and then they're not working and then working and not working. So it's like, it's like, there's been a significant impact, but, but the, you know, the people that are sitting in Congress right now, Nancy, looking at you, Chuck, looking at you, Mitch, suck it. Also looking at you though, all those people sitting up around in there, that is an extension of what we saw at what, what we're also seeing in the Capitol, which is how many of those Congress people like were in support, number one, they were willing to challenge the election based on bullshit, like mm-hmm. literally non-factual information. And number two, who have still not denounced what their constituents were up to cause, you know, in being involved in this insurrection. And three, the fact that those senators and, and those Congress people have not actually been expelled from Congress. Or arrested. Or arrested. And number four, the fact that the GOP, there are, I think there's 45 members of the, is it the Senate or the House? Whoever's hearing the trial for, for what's his face's impeachment right now, there are a significant number of senators that literally are shrugging or Congress people that are shrugging their shoulders right now and going, you know, actually, it wasn't that serious. Yes. That's all fucking white supremacy. Even though people died. Died. Even though people died. There was a memo that came out yesterday that shows that the DC National Guard was actually um what do you call that? Um, when they were shut down, like disengaged or um, they were told Standing to stand down. down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were like, basically the plug was pulled on them on January 4. 
Mm. Right? And so it's like, oh, oh, speaking of which, I don't know if you saw this interesting nugget of information. The leader of the Proud Boys. Oh. You know the Proud mm. Boys, right? Mm-hmm. So for our listeners, just go Google. Google will be your friend. Go look up Proud Boys. The founder of the Proud Boys, FBI informant. Oh. FBI informant. Now, if ever there was a time where we could take a closer look at what happens to snitches, he's going to, we're not going to see or hear from this guy again, either because he's going to be in prison and and things are going to happen to him or Mm -hmm. he's going to go full on witness protection. Personally, like like the fact that he's an FBI informant, as much pleasure as I get out of that, as funny as I think it is, he still created fucking a white supremacist hate organization. Empowered. And he empowered it. And that's some kind of bullshit. All yeah. under the watchful eye. It's all bullshit. So back to, so I did, I got, cause I'm spicy right now. It's like I had a workout today. I had this really great yoga. I don't know if you know, but I like I had like this really great yoga session today, mm, mm, and really, like things got things got stretched and relaxed and loosened and expanded, and there was some releasing of stuff. And all that I've been experiencing up in this house all day is inspiration, hot air, and spice. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's been <laughs> been pretty powerful. Um, so, what do you think it costs us as I like your term, like the air quote minority? Um, we know who we, we know who we mean. What does it cost us when we shit on each other? Oh my God, our human humanity, our dignity. It looks so bad when we're shitting on somebody. It really, you know, the shit splatters backwards, man. And if you see it happening, please fucking call it out. It costs us, so say more about that. It costs us our humanity. What you see and what you say about the world will be reflected back to you in Fades. There is one thing about calling things the way they are, truth telling, super important. And the other part of truth telling is seeing with clarity and seeing with compassion for pain. So let's take, for example, let's take, let's take, for example, something my cousin said to me, I'm lighter skinned. And she's darker, more native looking. She said, you're so beautiful. You have this beautiful curly hair. And, you know, I've always admired you. And I always thought you were better than me. That hit me really hard. It hit me really hard. I said, that's funny. Because when I look at you, I see your dark, rich skin. I see your beautiful, thick black hair. And your almond eyes that look look to everything with love. And she looked at me, she's like, I've never seen it that way. Mm -hmm. She's like, I see you and I see all the beauty. I said, 
Can we create a world where both can exist and neither is better or worse? Mm -hmm. That's what I strive for. That's what I strive to help people understand. Mm -hmm. All of this human variation is so beautiful because if we just had one cookie cutter, oh my gosh, we would be so bored with ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, I just, I think if we can come to a way of appreciating so many differences, because, you know, I think our ancestors and the creator have has such a great sense of humor. Because <laughs> just when you think you have something figured out, it'll throw something mm -hmm. like a wombat at you or a platypus. Like, oh yeah? And you're <laughs> like, what? What are you doing? I don't, what is this? How about what a duck meets, meets a beaver? How about that? <laughs> and you just Which, by the way, good, good job on that one, creator. That was pretty clever. <laughs> Right, the creator constantly wants us in wonderment and curiosity about what keeps getting created. And every iteration of human is even more fascinating and wonderful in its own ways. But when we just, we reduce it all to really just gross generalizations, we lose that wonderment and that love. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. So I guess, you know, what I was asking that question is I had this um, workshop that I attended the other day where we were talking about cost and opportunity. So, so when, when someone's doing some racist bullshit, it costs us something to not, it costs them something. Yeah. And by calling them in, we are creating, I wish I had my notes with me to say this, but by calling them in, we're creating an opportunity for them. And in my heart and in my bones, I like totally get it. I mean, I totally get it. And there's this other part of my brain that, that creator made, which is like, what if people don't care and they don't want that? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. And my second question would be, so you ready to die? Because that's what you're doing. Stop learning, stop growing, stop being curious. You're on your way to death, so congratulations. We, we get the choice every day to wake up and be curious and joyful about what, mm -hmm. what adventures and things we get to see and learn. Or you can shut down and say, no, nah, my life's fine, I'm good. I'm done. Your, your muscle for curiosity atrophies and you're pretty much done. And if somebody's okay with that, then what? I mean, is I that, do we, do we wash our hands of them and say, okay, have a, have a good, have a good, boring, short, meaningless, purposeless life as a rock? Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> unfortunately, if, if we are trying to be the best version of ourselves, no, we don't just throw them away. We let them sit by themselves in the corner of the party room while they're just having their little fit. But the rest of us still have to keep, keep you know, being curious and alive. But we let them sit in the corner because maybe not this iteration of their lifetime, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily our, our job. It's our, our job to invite 
but it's not our job to pull. hundred percent. Yeah. Say that again. It's our, our job to invite, but not our job to pull. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about this a lot. Like, you know, in my work as a coach, I've, I've, January has been a very interesting month of learning and growth, my personal learning and growth. Um, and I'm deeply grateful as painful as it has been, but I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, in terms of, you know, coming from a place of coach. I mean, I mean, people hire me because they want something different and they don't really know how to get there. So I'm always in this place of thinking about change and thinking about individual humans leveling up or blossoming up, sprouting another petal, if you will. And, and it's just interesting to be in that place with people who say, you know, who look at themselves and say, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Actually, it's a mess, I want something different because there's kind of this longing behind it. And some people, you know, it takes you, they, everybody has a different pain point, right? Or everyone has a different place they reach where it's unlocked for them to say, okay, now we're going to, what do I do? Right. And, and I'm fascinated because that's one side and the other side is people who don't want to change. And, and it's funny because it's like, I, I used to judge this, like, you know, in my, in my journey as a coach, and a human to be able to see people and be like, oh man, <laughs> wow, what, that's a lot of stuff you've got going on over there. And, and people are like, yeah, I'm just gonna sit in it. You know, and it's kind of like, I, I, I know a lot of ways that I put judgment on that. And now it's just kind of like, you know what? You sitting in your dirty diaper literally has no impact on, my, on me and my life. Um, but then the question is, it's like, well, you know, what is my responsibility as a relative? How do I be a good relative to people who don't want to change and who don't want to level up? Um, my, my, you know, I can't leave them behind, but I'm responsible for only my share of the relationship, right? I did, I don't know, so I was thinking about this. So, so this is for us Black Indigenous women of color. Here's our math. We are responsible for only 35% of every relationship brand, only 35%. But we're gonna pad our budget because we are always extra and we always give extra. So with our 35% and then you pad our extra, that leaves us with still only being responsible for 50% of relationships. That's literally all we're responsible for. And I think like there are some folks that's like, here's my half, you're not carrying your half, I'm done with you, see you later, bye. And that's, that's, that's a choice, that's totally a choice. But I feel like kind of the lens that I see the world with people through indigenous values, it's like nobody is a throwaway. Say that again. Nobody is a throwaway. I mean, you get to decide your boundaries, you get to decide the conditions of your relationship. And if somebody harms you, you get to decide what access they have into your life. But I kind of liken this to, for me, it's like, it's like 
if you hurt me once, that's a learning opportunity. If you do the same thing again, then it's like, you know, my dad used to say, it's like, first time, shame on me. Second time, shame on you. Third time, there is no third time. There's only an ass kicking. <laughs> but, but it's like, for me, it's like, there was a time where it's like, okay, you harmed me a second time. Guess what? You're out. I'm throwing you out of the house. I'm changing all the locks and I'm calling the cops. Good luck to you. Right. But now it's like, when do we afford people redemption? When do we afford people the opportunity to redeem themselves and to restore themselves? And so now it's like, if you do something that hurts me, I'm probably just going to sit you out on the step and I'm going to close the door. And, but I'm going to give you a water and snacks while you're sitting out there and you figure your shit out. And when you figure it out, when you figure out how you can be a good relative to me, and how you can restore that balance in our relationship. It's up to you to come knock on that door. I mean, I, I, will, I will give you every opportunity, but you have to do your share. So if I may, can I say this another way? Yes, please. Two agricultural ways of saying it. For every plant you want to see grown, you have to plant three seeds one for the sky, the bird, one for the ground animal, and maybe one for you or creator. But remember, you have to lay down three seeds for every one you wanna see. And then the mm -hmm. other agricultural one that really rings true is like lotus in the muddy waters, not all seeds will go towards the light. But mm -hmm. we give thanks for the muds, muds that clarify our vision of growing up and out. Without the muddy waters, we would have no lotus. Right? No mud, no lotus. And not all but, seeds are meant to grow. And that's where, and that takes us to another lesson, which all of these, by the way, are entirely their own separate episodes. <laughs> but that's, that's also about letting go, right? Yes, forgiving and letting go. Forgiving and letting go. And sometimes the hard part, you know, forgiveness is, is an interesting journey and letting go is an interesting journey because sometimes letting go, you have to choose to do that when you don't have a closure. Huh. You know, it's like, you we, we want to have, we want to have things wrapped up in a nice bow and a nice present. Right. And we don't, you know, I still don't that. understand that. I still, I'm sorry, but I come from a, a way of bringing up that there is no such thing as closure. It's just recycling. <laughs> So the closure, when you say it to me, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means. That just means recycling in my, in my, in my ways, but I, I find it's really interesting. So I've been working this year of January. I've been, oh, working, on, <laughs> I've yes. been working on forgiveness and I, I got to a little bit of a breakthrough in the last three days of forgiveness, I could finally see that it is a cage that's keeping me down. Mm -hmm. It's not keeping the other person who is blissfully unaware mm -hmm. and unconscious. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, this is the poison I'm holding. Mm -hmm. So I find myself ripping that off every night and my meditation of these, these fake bars that I have put on myself because of my 
expectations which are wrongly put aspirations from my own soul's journey yeah we want what we want we want what we want <laughs> well so tying that back to the beginning of the conversation around crapping all over each other really the work begins with us yeah 100 percent. it's like we got to clean our house up and know what we stand for in order to reach out and connect yeah. with others so the moment you feel like you know well something's not fair and so-and-so group is you know taking all the advantage then i need you to start looking at yourself i need you to really examine where do you feel like you've been unfair to yourself mm -hmm. Because oftentimes what we spew out that's hurtful is the stuff that we're spewing at ourselves. Mm -hmm. How about forgiving yourself for that and saying, well, maybe I haven't been doing my part of the work in this world. Maybe I've been stifling myself. And instead of blaming others, look to see what your responsibility was in creating the thing you feel. I'm sorry, can you say that again? Yes, instead of blaming others, remember have, have these, have these, look at what you did to create the circumstances that you're mad about. And you can actually do that without judgment. You can just look at it and just say, this is what it is. And from there, the gold that you reap in that treasure hunt, that's what you move forward with. And it's all up to you. Absolutely. And gold also is being able to look at something like systemic racism and say, well, it's not fair that perhaps I or my brother or sister over here haven't had the opportunities that I have had or vice versa. And let's see what we can do to change that, to make this mm -hmm. an equitable world. Mm -hmm. Because we're not going to get out of this life by ourselves and, and being really selfish in this world. We're going to get ahead by bringing all of us to the table. And that, yeah, it's like we have to be the thing that we want to see. Yeah, even, you know, even racist Uncle Farty in the corner of the table <laughs> deserves to be the table. I mean, he's, you know, there's something level about him in there somewhere, right? somewhere <laughs> and, uh, i want so i so i gotta say this too and i, I actually said this to somebody um i was on a, on a coach call yesterday with somebody and i was like i was like you you thought you heard me say this was gonna be easy i never said that Ooh. you thought you heard me say it's gonna be easy it's not always gonna be easy and that's where that's where your test is. When you start getting challenged, when like if you if 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 say say an action you're taking to level the playing field and uplift, uh, you know, a black indigenous relative, black indigenous person of color relative, requires you to not apply for a job, but instead uplift someone and say, you know, you should go for this, or um, 
include people in decision-making that the decision affects them, include them in the decision-making process. That requires you to give up, both of those require you to give up something. That's where your test is. That's where your commitment, your test of your commitment comes in. Because it's going to require all of us to give something. All of us in, in whatever privilege we hold, and all of us have some kind of privilege. That's also all another episode. Us. Every single one of us has, has a privilege. And there comes a time where we will have to look at that privilege and we will have to give from that place. And it's, it's not comfortable and it is not easy. But that's where your commitment is. That's where you're going to be asked to say, you really mean it? Or were you kidding? And that's why we all need to do this in community. Because when you have that, did I really mean it? Or was I kidding moment? That's when you call up one of your, one of your homies that's going to get your back and say, I'm kind of having a minute. I need some support. I think that's really important, especially in these COVID times when we're all isolated. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's hard, folks. This shit is hard, but it's this worthy. This shit is hard. It is worthy. It is worthy. And we're going to be okay. We're in it together, though. We got to remember that. So what's our nosh for today? Uh, I am having pumpkin curry, and it's delightful. That sounds really good. That's really mm. funny. Why? I can smell it. I can actually smell it. Well, it's funny you had pumpkin curry because I had roast, like three different kinds of roast squash. It's What's like, your favorite squash? Was, oh, I really enjoyed what farmer brought me that's been sitting in my cupboard that I made today. Um, I made, it was, uh, it was a, a little baby butternut an acorn squash and some delicata squash. Delicata is my favorite. I'm I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. And I have to say, I don't like squash when I buy it from the store. So when farmer brought it to my doorstep, I was like, ugh, squash. Whatever. I'll, you know, it's like I'll think of something to do with it. And I just threw it in the oven and roasted it. And I was like, yeah, okay. I like farmer squash. Just like I don't like I don't like sweet potatoes when you get them from the store, but when farmer delivers them, I will eat the hell out of those sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. I will throw them in the nuker, and I will just sit on my plate and gnaw on them like a little tiny like fucking badger. <laughs> it's really name. nice to have fresh vegetables roasted simply. Of course, now I'm all full. And I just want to lay under my blanket and take a nap. I hear you on that. And with that, we're wrapping it up. So thank you. And, and. All right. It's a technical thing. We got to have a little pause. So it sounds like a professional podcast. Sorry. Professionally wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Deep gratitude to my co-host Kim and producer Kim. 
deep gratitude to Kumiai people whose land we call out from. And um, I'm Alex YVF on Instagram. And you can just Google Alex Van Frank too. That works great. <laughs> and um, I, I'm a yoga therapist and I teach meditation as well. And I hear it's going pretty good with the peeps. So look me up sometime. And Kim, how about you? So me, so gratitude to my co-host, my sister friend over there, Alex, um, my my co-conspirator, my co-disruptor, my co-dreamer, my co-auntie. Uh, thank you. Um, and yes, I would like to acknowledge my ancestors. They've been hanging around this place all of throughout our conversation, and I'd like to acknowledge your ancestors as well. Uh, you can find me. I am the coach and uh, shenaniganator of Heart River Coaching, and more recently, also some shenanigans are afoot through flammable pajamas. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. You can also Google uh, Heart River Coaching. And um, yeah, I've got some stuff coming up. I've got some cool collaborations and I've got um, a class coming up soon that I'm going to be offering. And um, it's going to be really good for folks to keep your eyes peeled. You will find us. If you want to find Sass and Nosh, we have a Facebook page, Sass and Nosh. And... You can find us on Instagram, Indigenous Sassanosh. But mostly what you really should do is just find Alex and me and listen to this podcast wherever you're hearing it now. And thanks for and share. Thanks for and share. Like and share. Like and share. So, like uh, and cackle. Like and cackle. And uh, share and tell people and talk and, you know, take care of yourself and all that stuff. So uh, thanks for listening and, and we'll see you next time here on Sassanosh. Bye. Bye.